The following message is by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City. More information is available at our website, www.slcevfree.org. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to gather here now together beneath your word to hear from you. And as we sang just in the song right prior to this about sailing through trouble, I know that for many of us we can identify with that and understand it, but it's a distant understanding. It's a remembered identification. Probably Others of us, maybe even unknown to the majority here, others of us probably right now are tossed by the waves or in the middle of present storms. And so for all of us, but for them in particular, Lord, I want to ask you, please, would you draw near in power and minister the truths from this passage to our hearts? Make them real, please. Make them relevant. Make them live. Make them sweet. Make them hopeful. These truths here. But really, more than that, the person that these truths are about. The person who has secured us and will keep us safe. Lord, make Jesus clear and make him sweet. Make him powerful, make him real, make him good in the minds and hearts of all of us, but in particular for those who right now are in trouble. Please do that this morning. Make my words clear so that your word would be clear. Minister it to your people. Have your way with us here in this room. Build us up, save, sanctify and exalt the Son. Please do that this morning, we pray. In his name, amen. Jesus told us that in this world we will have trouble. It's the third thing you can count on, death, taxes, and trouble. always coming our way as we travel through life. And many of these troubles that are common to all people of all ages throughout all of time, some of which then are are unique to the people of God, different types of persecutions and different types of struggles. We know this, we're aware of it, and to some degree we expect it. And as a Christian, if you're a Christian, you, you also know a little more something about how we're supposed to respond to the trouble. Because you know that while Jesus said that in this world we will have trouble, you also know it's only half the quote. The very next statement says, the very next, next, right after that, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. So there are four things that are certain, actually. Death, taxes, trouble, and the triumph of Jesus. You know this at least up here. But moving that from here to here, moving that from 
from the head knowledge that you do, in fact, honest to goodness, know and do, in fact, trust. Moving that from the theological realm, though, that, that's believed truth down to the, the heartfelt, life-lived-out place, that, that can be a long trip sometimes. And to help us along that journey, God has, in part, given us the Psalms. Sweet truths that are, that are given to us in poetry and song, designed to, like all poetry does, like all songs do, to appeal to us in a different way, to kind of grab us in a, in a way that's different than, oh, say, narratives and stories, let alone how textbooks work. The, all those genres are all fine and good. The Bible's full of them, and those, those more clearly expressed expressing truth sort of in a didactic way, sort of genres, they're very helpful for us, very useful for us. They, they lay out the truths in clear ways, extremely helpful. And also, so are the psalms, the songs and the poems, because they're useful in a different way. They kind of help take this and move it to here and help us to become sweetly dependent and, and to commune in a joyful way with these truths and with the one the truths are about, Jesus. So towards that end, towards helping what we know up here move to what's down here, last week we began to look at the Psalms of Ascent, Numbers 120 to 134, all written at different times by different people, and at some point in time, we don't know exactly when, gathered together and, and expressed in, a, in a, a single collection, perhaps to be sung by people who were going up towards Jerusalem, ascending towards the temple, towards the house of God, towards the presence of God for one of the great feast festivals of, of the year. We don't exactly know. But then and now, these psalms were, were useful for people, sung and prayed to help them draw near to God, to ascend into his presence and commune with him. And so that's what we're using them for now, particularly with Psalm 121, in the midst of trouble. To face what's certain, the trouble, and to face what's certain with more that's certain, the hope. So, that's what we're going to look at this morning. Let me read Psalm 121, and then I'll draw out three observations from it. I lift up my eyes to the hills... From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Psalm 121. Three observations. Here's, here's the first. We need help in this world full of trouble and real danger. We need help in this world full of trouble and real danger. And as I say that, at first glance, that might appear plain as day obvious. 
But it's where the psalm starts and it's where we start because it is helpful, I think, and it will be helpful towards the end. It'll make what's here sweet. If we kind of get this all on the table and be honest about it. And even be explicit and clear about it in your own personal life. Trouble and danger. It's here. You can imagine the psalmist setting here, a faithful Israel, perhaps he's journeying up towards Jerusalem, and he glances up and looks around, he sees the hills. He says, I lift up my eyes to the hills, verse 1, and he asks, from where does my help come? Which some take to mean, I look up, I look up for help to the hills. Kind of like the cavalry troop in the western it's going to ride over the hill and come into the rescue. Some people think that's what's, what's going on here. He's looking hopeful towards the hills. But I don't think that's the case. Rather, like in the previous psalm, the beginning here is introducing the problem. For one, there's no rescuing cavalry back in ancient Israel. If anybody swoops down out of the hills, it's bandits. It's trouble. But more so, what we're supposed to see if we're with that Israelite along the road journeying up towards Jerusalem, we look to the hills, look to the high places, what we're supposed to see is a constant Old Testament theme. All of the peoples around Israel believed that their gods and goddesses lived on hills and in mountains at high places. And that if you wanted to get close to God, you went up there where they lived and you built a shrine or an altar or a temple there. That's what all the peoples around them did. And then unfaithful Israelites followed suit. And constantly through the Old Testament, they are warned and called to account. Don't turn from me and turn to the high places. Don't build the shrines and the altars in the high places. And good kings tore them down, but they got rebuilt. Constantly. If we're looking to God, we look towards Jerusalem, we look towards the temple, but if we look to the hills, what we see is idol worship and the haunting of demons. We see trouble. That's the setup here. That's the introduction of the problem. I look to the hills and I need help. This world that we live in right now, if you look around, it still looks like that. All around. Trouble and real danger. Physically, tangibly, and also spiritually. So lift up your eyes for a second and look around. Look, look out there first. I I read a, regularly read a magazine about foreign affairs, and if you start reading and thinking about the world, that's troubling. I mean, the stuff we read in the newspapers right now, there's, there's a virus spreading rapidly around China, right? And it's not crossed the borders. People start talking about epidemics, pandemics. Maybe that'll come here, I don't know. And you read about Brexit and the economic fallout of that, which will be what? Who knows? But I suspect that when it comes, I won't be able to do much about it. And who among us 
actually believes Iran is done responding <laughs> to the assassination of one of their top leaders. Yeah, that's, that's, that's likely. They're, they're done. When that other shoe falls at a time that we don't expect it, it will not be pleasant. And the rise of artificial intelligence around the world, particularly in the hands of people who don't like us, is frightening, if you think about that. What it can do, what it is already doing. That's way out there, right? That's over in China and off in the Middle East and in a whole other world. Uh, we live in a global, connected world, and that stuff that's way out there could be here tomorrow. Or it'll touch people that you know who live in the other places in the world. I, I read about those things, I think about those things, and I'm a little bit afraid, but let's set that all aside. Let's lift our eyes, not quite that high, let's, let's just come a little bit lower and look right at your own life, never mind the international order. What you yourself face today in your own neighborhood and in your own house that is not just distant potential but is real. You don't have to read about it on the internet, it's right in front of your own eyes. Your own health is failing. Or that of your child is. Or that of your unborn born child might be. Is that frightening? Is that a threat? Oh, for sure. For sure. Or maybe it's just a possibility as you hand over the car keys to your teenager and, and you say, this one's not very good at this and not very wise. <laughs> Here you go. That, that is a, a common joke, right? But a real fear. This one's not very good at this and not very wise, and that car is deadly. And for some people I know, it has been deadly. And your own job, your own financial security is in question. It always is. We've got, we can lift up our eyes, we can see trouble out there, and we can lift them up quite, not quite so high, we can see trouble right here, and you can look at it in your own house, and there's trouble, there's threat, there's real danger right in the present, the here and now. You don't have to worry about Iran. You can look at your own family. Our usual way of dealing with that is to deny it, or to say we're staying strong. I'm staying strong in the face of that. Come on. Are you remotely in touch with your frailty? At the end of the day, we live in a world that is far beyond our control. And the dangers, the threats that, that approach us, that come at us, Frankly, sure, remain prudent, save, exercise, lock your doors, but there's not a whole lot we can do about a whole lot. It just comes at us. And if you stop and think about that, 
Uh-oh. It is worth stopping and thinking about that at the very beginning of this psalm and putting on the table. Now, obviously, I'm being like very general and very big categories here, that none of which may be exactly about you. But what I want to encourage you to do is get specific, pencil on paper or in your mind, mental pencil on mental paper, what exactly is it that troubles you? Where exactly are you in danger? What makes you say, I need help? I need help. I I don't know. I, I sense that. And watch yourself then, because what we typically do right at that moment is we typically say, uh, what can I, I'm going to double down on my own human abilities, I'm going to gather to myself resources, and we're going to phone up the Marine Corps. That'll save us. That's what Americans do. We gather together friends, money, and a military. That'll save us. Like fools trusting in horses and chariots. No, it won't. No, it won't. It helps to see, oh, oh I, I generically know, this is kind of up here, I generically know we, we face trouble, we are in danger. But let's move the danger part first down here to the heart. Let's get explicit about it because what's going to happen is then what's with the good that's here in the psalm is going to be sweet because it's going to matter. It's going to have a place to really land in your life if you actually say, there is my trouble and I need help. And don't stop just at the material or tangible issues in life. Include them, you know, write them down your mental list. Those are real, but don't stop there. Go on beyond it a little bit and see something more here, the danger within the danger. This psalm reminds us and really wants to push us in the direction of something else, something worse. In the setup, what's on the hills? Idolatry. And in the conclusion, verse 7, the Lord will keep you from all evil. It's fair and necessary and right to think about specific kinds of, of felt, tangible, circumstantial need. God cares about that for sure. But more than that, we have to remember that, that our, your main trouble Main danger is a spiritual one, a spiritual threat. In the spiritual world all around us, all sorts of evil, not just evil things, evil and the evil one. Evil lurks, hunts you. Trying to do something to you trying to to work within you, to to gain a foothold and to pry open a door and to step in to undermine your faith and to lure you away from God, 
to incline you into the trust of yourself and your own resources, to deaden you to him, to, to distract you from him, to pry you away from him in any way that he possibly can so as to destroy you spiritually. This may sound a little familiar because we talked about it a few weeks ago at the very end of 2 Timothy. Paul faced that when he talked about every evil attack, not meaning his physical death, meaning the attack within his death, the danger in the danger. Do you sense that? Is that also on your list? Where are you spiritually vulnerable? Where do you find the circumstances that are threats or even that are, that are blessings and abundances? Where do you find the stuff that comes to you in life, oh, perhaps maybe being used to kind of separate you from God, to deaden you, to lure you away? Something is stalking you. And you need help. All around us, if we lift up our eyes and look, you can look at the international order, you can look at your, at your own world, your own life, and your own heart. We face trouble and great danger, and we need help. And if that's real, then what's next is good news. Because secondly, the Lord is your certain and sufficient help, your safekeeper. The Lord is your certain and sufficient help, your safekeeper. Verse 2 is the answer. My help comes from the Lord, not from superior planning, not from excellent medical care, not from smooth interpersonal skills. All those things are good and fine. None of those things are to be trusted. The Lord may work through all of them, but the help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. That is, from the Lord who is the sovereign, omnipotent, you've got to think about this, who made heaven and earth. He made heaven and earth, which means he is the maker and ruler of of every single little bit of every single little thing, including all that troubles us. By his will it exists. He brought it all into being by the breath of his mouth. And he sustains it just as long as he wants to. And if he willed, it would vanish all pass away. He's the sovereign ruler. Unless we think of him like in some generic sense, the psalmist wants to narrow our focus. He's, it mentions that he's the one who, who keeps Israel. He, he point, this is the God of the Bible. This, the God who made everything, the God who reigns and rules is the God of the Bible. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Our God. He is the one who keeps that word there comes up six times in the following verses here. The, 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 point, the point is clear. I mean, verse 3 begins, he will not let your foot be moved. You, he's going to steady your footing. It's going to be solid. But the, the point is clear in how it is so creatively different home. It's, it's just how poetry works, how songs work, to kind of repeat and modify and, and enhance. This word shows up in several different forms here again and again. He keeps 
Verse 5, the Lord is your keeper. Not something who like just like has something, but think of like a like maybe like a soccer goalkeeper, the one who keeps the goal, keeps it safe, so nothing gets in. The Lord is the one who is the keeper of you. He guards you. He protects you. Keeps you safe. So Christian, consider that it kind of wash onto you. Consider how it is that he keeps you. He is always hyper-vigilant. The Lord who keeps you is always on guard, always alert. He never slumbers nor sleeps. He never naps. He never takes time off. He's never away from his desk. He's never on another call when you call out to him in need. And he keeps you even where you are most vulnerable. He is the shade on your right hand, it says. It's a mixing of metaphors there. Shade, we... Clearly I understand shade to be beneficial, particularly in arid climates like here or like Israel. There's a great big difference between being in the sun and being in the shade. We understand that, but the mixing of metaphors is that there's actually a military image here. The shade on your right hand. In the day when soldiers held their shield in their left and the sword in the right, the right's the open, vulnerable side. You're uncovered there. So right there at your exposed spot, at the point of danger, he's your right-hand shade, so you can't be struck. Not by the sun during the day, nor by the moon at night. Verse 6, which may seem a little bit odd at first. Sun we understand, but moon, moon striking you. Well, think about this for a second. The psalmist is picking up a very common fear, a reality from the spiritual realm to underline the scope of God's safekeeping. Bad things live in the darkness. I'm not talking about thieves and robbers. Supernatural, spiritual, bad things live in the darkness and come alive. That has always been known. It is known right now. Halloween Eve and full moons are not just kids' playthings. Forces of darkness are called forces of darkness for a reason. There is a spiritual world all around us, and it comes alive at night. Not that it can't in the day, but it comes alive at night. The, the only times that I can be very conscious, that I've ever been consciously aware of being in the presence of some evil force has been in the dark. And it's not because I'm afraid of the dark. The psalm is, without going into details, is, is just touching on something that, that those readers and now perhaps we would, would instinctively feel. The full point here is that the keeper is a shield so that you can't be struck, not by the dangers of the day or by the dark dangers of the night. 
by the natural and by the supernatural, by, by human and very obviously understandable attacks and by those that are harder to feel and a little spookier. Night and day, 24-7, he's your keeper. And he will keep you from all evil. He will. He will guard and protect comprehensively. Verses 7 and 8. You're going out and you're coming in. All through the days of your, your life, one after another, you get up in the morning, you make your breakfast, and you head out into your day. You go to the workplace, the classroom, the restaurant, and the grocery store, and the mall. And then you come home to your living room and dining room table and your sofa and bed, rinse and repeat. You go out and you come in. You go out and you come in day after day after day. And tomorrow and the next year and on into forever and then after death on into forever and ever, you go out and you come in omnipotently kept safe behind an impenetrable shield that covers over all of your weak and most vulnerable spots that faces the deepest and darkest dangers and is held up by an omnipotent one who never sleeps. You are kept. You are safe. You are given present help in your time of need, the mercy and grace that is just so for right now and will be perhaps a little different for tomorrow and its needs, but you'll get daily bread today. You will be kept safe from evil, certainly and sufficiently, forever. Psalm 121. And you take that and hold it up next to whatever you specifically wrote down, your piece of paper, your mental piece of paper, you take it and you put it up right next to that. These things that, that you say, I, I need help. This is a threat. This is a danger to me. You hold it up and, and what this says is, here I am. Help. Present and mighty here right now. Certain. So breathe a sigh of relief with that. And breathe in some hope. This is going to be Okay. Because of Jesus. It's only going to be okay because of Jesus. There's only true of you in Jesus, not apart from him, but this is true of you because of and true of you in Jesus. So, so you take this and you trust it and you take in a deep breath while being completely realistic. And this is an important point. While being completely realistic and carefully thoughtful about what's really meant by this psalm. Because probably a number of us have had a big question in the background. Tragedies do still happen, though. Catastrophes still happen. I'm in the middle of one 
right now, and you're going on about how I'm going to be kept. I'm, I'm getting angry right now because that's baloney. We've got to be completely realistic about this. We lay out our troubles, Psalm 121, and now let's think really carefully about that because we have to. We, we, we've lived too much life to know that trouble doesn't happen. We, that, that the worst thing, like Job said, that which I fear has come upon me. After he heard about the death of his children and the collapse of his business and finances, that happened to the most righteous man on the earth. And it happens to us. And he said that through tears. And if we say this through tears, or if you sit here just barely choking back the tears, this all may seem completely hollow, like a facade. Or worse, a deception. God lied, misled, shouldn't be trusted, maybe isn't even real. Because look, yes, I feared this, and yes, he said he would deliver me, and it happened anyway. She died. They came. We have to think really carefully about this. The Lord will keep you from all evil. That is, he will keep your life. does not actually mean he will keep you alive. Of course not. Death and taxes are certain. He will keep your life. You, your person, your being, your soul, kept in his hand, behind his shield, Kept from, shielded from all evil, certainly. He will preserve you and guard you from evil and from what evil is really about, what evil is really after. Attacking to destroy your faith and separate you from God and destroy you then under God's wrath. Apart from him, we would be hopeless against that. We, we could not resist that temptation. We would fall. He promises, I'll keep you, I'll keep your life, I'll keep you from every evil, from the danger within the danger. And I will not allow anything to separate you from me. This is true of us, just like it was true of Jesus. Jesus has walked this very path before us. He was not kept from rejection and he was not kept from false accusation and he was not kept from physical hardship or shortage or temptation or misunderstanding or persecution. He faced and endured a lot of trouble. A lot. Was left alone even, think of him in the wilderness, tired and hungry and thirsty and keenly aware of his own vulnerability as he faced off against the evil one himself. And Jesus responded how? He didn't look to his own resources. 
He looked to his Father in heaven and trusted him faithfully and found him to be a keeper. Day after day and year after year is going out and is coming in. Jesus faithfully depended on his Father and his Father faithfully kept him all the way up until the very end when what happened? He didn't keep him. You know, you know the story, but think about this. I am coming back to how this helps us. Jesus walks through trouble. Jesus is faithfully kept near the Father, in the, the hand of the Father, in close fellowship with the Father, faithfully all the way up until the very end when the Father hangs up the phone and walks out of the room and withdraws the shield and the evil blow strikes him. What? Why? 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 So that this psalm would be true for you. So that this psalm will be true for you. So the evil blow that struck him will never strike you. The Father's wrath will never fall on you. And all that the Father now has towards you is not a grimace, not a frown, not a stern face, but the Father has for you a face of love and an inclination to do you good, which means that you can take to him all of the physical circumstantial issues and you can say, Lord, here, I need help. Please deal with this. And you can trust him to deal with it wisely to do you good. Which may mean the thing that you fear happens. It may. But it means that behind that is a father with a smiling face who has in his great wisdom and in his omnipotent power has total control over the whole situation to work all of that, everything for your good, you who love him and are called according to his purposes. And you can know then, because this is the Father who reigns over all this, and I put all this into his hands, in Christ then, nothing can separate me from his love that is mine. I am beloved. I am cared for. He may, like, like I fear, he may decide that what's good is actually that this befall me. Ugh, that will hurt. That will hurt. It will. We will sorrow. We will. But Christian, you got to ask yourself if you're a Christian. If you're a Christian, then something else bigger is bigger. that you are kept to this beloved, beloved Father. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Not I have eliminated the trouble, I have overcome it. That's bigger, that's more important, that's real. This 
the truth of Jesus, the fact that Jesus walked through this psalm, the fact that Jesus was abandoned to evil, and then, of course, we know redeemed from it to show that he is the one approved, and in him comes redemption. You know that. That's the whole story. The fact that Jesus walked through this, the fact that this is true of Jesus, the fact that Jesus rose victorious on the other side means that he has overcome all of this and that it really is the case for you. You are kept from evil, kept to God. And like Job also then said, and if he slays me, I will yet trust him because I know this much. To be kept to God is to be kept to life and is to provide a spot where really and truly and honestly I can rejoice even while sorrowing. And why does the sorrow come? Why does it come in that degree, in that moment, to that extent? I don't know. I'm not God. I can't say. I'm not going to try. I got some theories, but they're not worth elaborating on. The point is, when I don't have any theories, and it doesn't make any sense whatsoever, the truth of the psalm is, oh yes, thankfully, oh, I, I have opened up to me an avenue of prayer, and I can ask, and God, like any good parent, is in fact inclined to give good things. But God, unlike any parent, is so sovereign and so masterful that he can steer everything for good. And he does. He does. For you, in your life, Is that good news? Or do you find yourself still saying, but the thing I really wanted you didn't give me. Are you a Christian? Are you a Christian? Are you a Christian? The thing you really wanted, he did give you. He gave you Christ. He gave you himself forever and ever and ever and promised to shield you from anything and everything that would separate you from that great glorious gift. That is good news, Christian. And it's critical that you settle that for the real life lived out joy of the fellowship of God. Because if you don't settle that, then everything on the list the dangers and threats and fears, when they come up and when they actually befall you, will send you into a tailspin and you won't have any ground to stand on. You've got to settle. Is the good news that I have Christ and will never be separated from him, will be kept. God indeed will keep in many other ways, thankfully. But this is the core of it safe from all evil. He will keep your life. He will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. That is good news. And the last point, which is short. Preach this truth to yourself within the church community. Preach this truth to yourself within the church community. This is a small but a helpful point in the journey from here to here. If you notice something about the structure of the psalm, verses 1 and 2, where the problem is laid out and the simple answer is given, 
is all in I and my language. And where it's pressed home and elaborated on and poetically described three and following is he and your language. The voice changes. I lift up my eyes. He will not let your foot be moved. The voice changes, which tells us something about how we are to encourage one another and how we are to talk to ourselves to take our thoughts captive and submit them to the truths that we've just been talking about. I lift up my eyes. There's my trouble. My help comes from the Lord. Steve, he will not let your foot be moved. Steve, he will keep you. Brother, sister, he will keep you. See, we talk to each other. We talk to ourselves and we talk to each other. So it tells us something. This, the Psalms are, are meant to be contemplated, they're meant to be sung, but in a real way, they're meant to be preached. Brother, sister, you know this, so hear it again carefully and prayerfully. The Lord will keep you from all evil. Set your eyes on the danger within the danger. Cry out to Him about the danger, but keep your eyes on the danger within the danger. He's got you. You're safe. He's good. Trust him. We're talking to ourselves until until not just my mind knows it, but until my heart feels it. And my heart rests in it. And my heart can say, I, I am the servant of the Lord. Do with me as you see right, good, loving, and keeping Father. Through tears even, amidst sorrow, to rest and rejoice. We preach this to each other and to ourselves until we are made new. Because we know that God has us and we are safe. Let me pray. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Steve Clark of the Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City in Salt Lake City, Utah. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without permission. We invite you to visit our website at www.slcebfree.org or call us directly at area code 801-943-0091. Our mailing address is Evangelical Free Church of Salt Lake City, 6515 South Lion Lane, Salt Lake City, Utah, 84121.